And welcome to the Two Medics podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors, mah.uk.com for medical accountancy needs and also to lifelinehealthcaregroup.co.uk for the best locum rates. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. As you can probably tell, you haven't got Imran and Tharusha today, sorry about that, but we're doing a little takeover episode again. Um, and I am Nina Jar. I am a GP uh, with a special interest in urgent care and I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Bethan John and I'm a GP trainee, ex-neurosurgery trainee. Don't know if I'm going to collect any other training programs. <laughs> maybe, maybe leave it at that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like the fact Therusha and Imran are not here again after the kind of things have been a bit odd the last few weeks haven't they I feel like we should like fire up the rumor mill again somehow and start some rumor about them I don't know like are they both gonna go for pm or what maybe one of them is Sajid Javid in disguise you, you never, never know. know that whole thing has gone a bit crazy hasn't it since I think oh, is it obviously my last started last week with the resignations and that like it was like a soap opera wasn't it yeah, it's couldn't just even nuts. keep up with what was happening. I know. I don't know. I feel like already I don't know now who's in the bid for like PM or who's dropped out and anything. But I think at one point, did Jeremy Hunt have his hat in the ring? Which is he did have his hat in really the ring. Bizarre. I think he's now just pulled out. Thank goodness. I don't even. My kid was asking me. So has Boris Johnson resigned? And I'm like, yeah, he's he's left. And then he. He hasn't, has he fully left? I'm like, well, actually, I don't know because he's still like acting mm. PM, isn't it? Like, he, yeah. it doesn't really Until make September, any sense. September, is it, or something? Yeah, I don't something understand like what's kind of going on. I just know that all a bunch of, mm, I can't really beep, say what beep, we think. Beep. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of all those things. Um, but how are things with you anyway? Everything okay? Work, yeah. family, etc. It's just melting over here. You melt oh in God, it's hot. How was your arm? Didn't you just burn one? <laughs> one oh arm? yeah, I'd had a short period in the sun and got a bit of a. It's just a combination of me being an idiot and also, despite having dark hair, I've got quite fair skin. Um, so I just like I look at the sun and I just turn red. So I've got some. I've got that to deal with. But yeah, it's my my own fault. Um, no, sun's turn my kids into. I don't know, there's some weird, like, animal-type creatures. They're just, like, I always moaning. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame them. It's crazy hot I think because they're up all night because they can't sleep, and then it's just, like, this vicious mm. cycle, and they're overtired, and then, yeah, so we're all kind of losing the plot. We're so British, end. aren't we, bloody complaining about the heat. <laughs> I, I do, I I do, do like it. it, though. Yeah, I like it. I don't Same. know what it is about the sun and stuff. It just puts that bit of a spring in your step, doesn't it, when you're not burning, like to a crisp but yeah I Burning like it I did some OSCE examining this week which was good did you yeah um what for your for your medical school for the like for the local medical school which was good and um what station did you get oh yeah I don't know like I, am I allowed to say I don't know but I, it was like it was neuro based anyway which was quite nice um and these were people doing their finals as well um and I was really, I was really impressed. I had, um, had an actor with me and I'm, 
like I, I think I never cease to be surprised by how serious they, they take their roles um but for, yeah fair play to them but I was really impressed um and they were I just I was chuckling to myself because there was one question in this OSCE that everyone got wrong which I thought was like that's not a great kind of station and then I thought what would I answer to that and what I answered was completely wrong as well so I was like oh these these kids are all right but so no, what kind were, of examiner really are you good. are you like the harsh examiner the stern face not giving like poker face or are you the there was all this training and it said like you're not allowed to nod you're not allowed to kind of prompt them for any more answers you can't say any of this stuff um but how do you like how do you listen to someone talking to you without like body language and feedback so I was I caught myself kind of smiling and nodding quite a lot but I thought I'm not t- I'm not telling anyone the answer I'm just like I'm just being human um exactly. but the reason the reason why I brought it up was because um it was the first time and luckily it wasn't by a student but it was by another doctor who was examining it was the first time I've been recognized from Twitter oh. <laughs> And it was the lovely Anthony, Anthony Bainham. I have no idea if he listens to this this podcast, but after the exam had finished, um, we didn't realise we were on the same station. I think we, we sat at the same table before. And then after another he, stu- a student or like no, another a, a colleague doctor, doing he's that. An exa- he's an exam, oh, he's an examiner. I see. And uh, I see. he said, oh, are you Bethan from Twitter? And I was, <gasps> I was like, what do I say? No. <laughs> It's the first time that it has happened, like, in the wild, oh. so to speak. And it was, I don't know, my heart sank. I thought, oh, my God, like, what have I, you know, I made, like, an absolute tit out of myself. But it wasn't. It was really nice. And it was lovely to meet him. And, um, and yeah, but I think that's, has, it, has that happened to you yet? I don't know. It's weird. It has. It's happened to me about four times, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> once, once was a patient. And I was like, oh, really? Yeah, once was a patient. Um, Twice has been, one was a specialty reg who was in A&E, who I could kind of ambushed for advice. Excellent. excellent. And then they saw my bad, oh, are you Nina Jar from Twitter? I'm like, no. (laughs) And the worst one, this is the worst one, my waxing lady. Oh, my God. God, I'd gone for a wax, and then we were just talking about politics, and um, yeah, I, you know, we we're having a what? really good conversation, and then as she was waxing my leg, she just uh, she goes, "Hang <laughs> oh on, I think I've seen your tweets. Are you on Twitter?" And then she brought up her. She goes, "Are you?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh shoot, that was the most random." And I'm like, "Yeah, I just had my trousers off, my knickers out, you know, just like, yep." Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> how bizarre! But yeah, you don't really know how to react, do you? It's no, really. I don't know. I thought so, it was. It's quite nice. I don't know. If I'd, I'd never expected that to happen. Like, I feel like a lot of the time, I, I just like tweet my brain fast in a way. I never expect them to like. You know, you never expect them to be received by anyone I guess and yeah um, it just kind of feels like another little world doesn't it yeah it just made me realize that you know maybe there are some people like listening or or reading um not that that would ever change I apologize if anybody says oh I'm I'm like oh I'm sorry (laughs) I think I said oh god (laughs) I think that was the first thing I said (laughs) when I realized it was a positive experience um yeah I I don't know never apologize for who you are that's true. It's not. It's not as if you can change it. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> to be honest, it. 
it's just what it, it is what it is it is what it is it be how it be but um uh-huh. talking about work and stuff excellent news has come up this week that gp is no what? longer in crisis so did relaxed you, we're not you know? in crisis anymore i think this is a celebratory event just, isn't it just like that so yeah it was just a bit bizarre so this week there was um there was a hearing in the house of commons um the health and social care committee inquiry into the future of general practice um where there was the new primary care minister uh james, james morris, morris. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, there's a there's a doctor as well dr amanda doyle uh, she's the nhs england director of primary and community care and i think jeremy hunt was the chair wasn't he and was yeah. like would you say there's a crisis and yeah they both were like nah mate <laughs> it's like what, <laughs> <laughs> what it's what like it's planet? stretched it's it's stressed yeah. and stretched but it's not in, i'm just thinking at what point dustin stain um he put up a good response to it like oh, at what yeah. point would you say general practice is in crisis like at what needs oh, God, to happen long ago i think really for, isn't it for them to and i mean I, I think there's another agenda to it because it's it's so blatantly clear that it's in crisis by denying it what are they trying yeah. to achieve and i think it was i think it was the fact that like i think when when Dr. Doyle was answering and she said, oh, crisis is quite an emotive term. And she was kind of shying away from using that, I assume, because of that reason. I was like, no, that's the whole point. Like, this whole thing is is crumbling. That's that's the most emotive, one of the most emotive things I think that's happening for many kind of colleagues mm. at the moment and patients. So I was like, what? Like, yeah, it is emotive. So why? I don't know. I just... People are so far removed, aren't they? It gives me no confidence whatsoever. But what does give us hope and <laughs> is is the George Cross that we were oh, all awarded. Yeah. And you know, that just fills my heart with warmth. And suddenly I yeah. feel satisfaction in my job again because yeah, we have we been given that, a- yeah. <laughs> so performative, isn't it? Yeah. So performative. Did you see um did you see Ellen Roddy's tweet about it all, which pretty much summed it up? Yeah. To the ten ambulances waiting outside ED, the twenty-four medical patients waiting inside ED for beds, the exhausted staff like me who are ashamed of the care they give and the conditions in which they give it, I would say this feels tokenistic rather than poignant. That's exactly what it is. It's an empty gesture. Exactly. That's for show, isn't it? That's yeah. what it is. If you actually appreciated NHS staff, you would pay them fairly mm. or you would, you know, you'd invest in NHS services. Exactly. That is doing something. Nobody, nobody anybody, does anybody want this George Cross? Mm. Nobody wants it. I know, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, I don't it's know. It's like the clapping again. Yeah, we've spoken about this, I think, on previous episodes because it just yeah. keeps, like many of the topics that we're going to discuss today, it just keeps coming up every time. Um, I think... A good place to start, well, aside from obviously, congratulations on the George Cross, Nina, and the fact that thank your profession you. is no longer in crisis. Thank to, you, thank you. To you too. Um, Entering at a good time, Bethan, into general practice. Absolutely, thank you, thank you. Yes, <laughs> it's nice and easy now. I'm glad I picked this time. Um, but yeah, I think a good place to start might be uh, a joke, I guess. A, I say joke. A lot of people, including myself, didn't take it as a joke. First of all, no, I but didn't either. I didn't. I didn't think it. I thought it was serious. Actually. A joke yeah. that went slightly um, 
awry. So this was Parachute. a tweet. Yeah, this was a tweet by Greg Morlock, who I think is a, a lecturer um, in, in a medical school um, and also a bioethicist. Um, and he said, as someone who studied at a medical school, I firmly believe that medical doctors should make clear that the doctor title they get from medical school is just a courtesy and not a proper doctorate. I'll see myself to the bin and or see. The, yeah. I mean, the fact that he wrote that last sentence kind of then implies it's to be taken in a very yeah. light-hearted, yeah. jokey way. I was triggered as usual, though. I was like, what the? What the? How dare he say that? I've worked hard for this title. I like, I like to just jump on bandwagons occasionally. You did, but not as much as a certain oh, person who no. completely took this yeah. out of hand. And what I don't understand is you don't like something... And you go straight to tagging that person's employer, the GMC. I mean, it's such a childish way. (laughs) It's such a childish way to approach something. It's like a, you know, two kids having a fight and then, you know, telling on your mum, like telling your mum about it. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's really like, yeah, it's really weird. It's a very childish approach. If you don't like something, then either don't comment or, you know, or block it and block that person. But don't start tagging the employer and then digging your heels in. I think he actually like tweeted afterwards again to make it clear that he was like, just just before this escalates and ruins the last day of my holiday, I'm clearly not being serious. But this this guy was just kept like doubling down, didn't he? And it went all to about kind of being, he, he was claiming that it this guy was- a bit of a tangent, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, being like um, rude to frontline workers and denying their experiences. And yeah, it was just- it was just, and you, I don't know, you could tell, I'm, I'm the first one to say, when someone has these kind of outbursts, I feel like a lot of people, especially on Twitter, will jump to their defense and they'd be like, oh, they must be unwell or something must have happened, like making excuses for them. And I'm the first person who I feel like I'm one of the first people in my mind that will jump in and be like, no, people can just be like shitty humans, can't they? It doesn't mean that we need to make excuses for them. And I don't want to mm. do that here. Again, because he was, these were just very shitty responses. But this guy just seems so unhappy kind of in his job and stuff. Like all the follow-up tweets were just completely missed the original point. Completely missed it. Yeah. Oh, I think ego's got a, a, a <laughs> part of it because we've seen this quite a few times on Twitter in general. When someone posts something, someone takes it in the wrong way. And in, when they're corrected by multiple people, they just are determined to dig their heels in yeah, and they refuse like to it. just admit they're wrong. Some people genuinely find it extremely difficult to admit that they're wrong and they've taken mm. things incorrectly. Yeah. Um, and they just continue to dig their heels in, which just makes them look like complete yeah. dicks. But it was like, yeah, the GMC was tagged in, his university, his department, I think MedSoc from the university at one point <laughs> as well. Um, but Pete Turton's other account um, made a good point. I don't think it was directly in relation to this. Maybe it was a subtweet in a, in a fashion. Um, but I think Pete was saying he was going to take a bit of a break um, and commented that if you're in an argument with a doctor on Twitter and it all gets a bit heated, step away and block. Too many people are threatening with GMC, employers, training program directors, just because they don't like how a row turned out. You wouldn't do it because a doctor swore at you at a junction or did a two-footed tackle on Sunday League. Don't do it here. And yeah, it's just something about like stepping away, isn't it? And just 
Oh God, yeah. I think it's just too easy for people to do it in anger. Like if you were Definitely. having that conversation in real life with that person, would you then fire off an email to GMC based on the conversation yeah, that you had? You exactly. wouldn't because you've yeah. got a real person standing in front of you. Mm. Whereas I think Twitter just makes it all a little bit yeah, unreal. I don't know what it is. I think it is people's like confidence swells behind this little keyboard, doesn't it? Sometimes, yeah. Um, but oh, I know that that's ego. kind of serious. But there was this one point I think where Julia was like, "Mate, like you really need to stop." And he was like, "I am not your mate." And it gave me real like <laughs> Cat Slater and Zoe Slater vibes from EastEnders. You ain't my yes, mother. I was you like, ain't oh my, my mother. God, I was like, mate, just like please stop like doubling down and just jog on. Um, Even just take a breather, just go and take a break, and then exactly. come back to it just with a fresh pair of eyes. But that wasn't even the weirdest thing that came out of that original tweet either. There was this. For something about vets being more qualified. Oh, yeah, that Did went you on see a, that? that went on a I don't know where that came Not from. Not to forget that veterinarians are more qualified and can treat humans, whereas an MD cannot treat animals. Is that all? Yeah, oh. Well, there you <laughs> go. Is, firstly, what? How is that related to I know. anything that the yeah. tweet was about? You learn something new and questionable every day from this hell site, don't you? Really. But that's not true, is it? But- I don't know. I think it, I think it stems from an article somewhere about um, someone did post it. It's not true in that sense, but I think it stems from something that um, there's some law that we can't practice on animals, which obviously doesn't apply to vets, and but vets can. And there's no law that there's there's no law that says you can't practice on humans. The, you know, the other way around. So I think it, it stems from somewhere, but it's because not like you can this. doesn't mean you should. Exactly, a very good very good rule uh, in life. Um, and Phil Lee came with his usual um, his usual deadpan response. I don't think he came in. I think he was dragged in, wasn't he? He was tagged in this in this thread as well. Well, I think yeah, by that initial questionable dude. But I think he also. Um, there was also an earlier tweet by him that said, I think that the word doctor is frankly anachronistic. New word for me there. Oh, actually. well done saying that. And I, instead, I couldn't say it. And instead all, healthcare, instead, all healthcare professionals should be titled healer, which is, <laughs> you know, made, made, me, made me think of a couple of our, or well, potentially one of our Twitter colleagues. Oh, yes, <laughs> we've had this before, haven't we? Yeah, let's move oh, on yes. quickly. Let's move let's on. Let's move on anyway, quickly from that before we, well. before we are attacking... I'll get accused of attacking. So, um, of course, as per the cycle that is MedTwitter, MedTwitter, there was also quite a bit of discourse, again, about physician associates. I think last time I called them a physician assistants, and I think Dolly messaged to say, actually, no, it's physician associates. So apologies for that previous episode. Um, This isn't going away, is it? This has been an issue for ages because we're just nothing is being resolved about it and that's why it keeps coming up over and over again and this is I know this is not us I I don't want to sound like we're getting involved or you know everyone's entitled to their own opinions and it's obviously very heated and very triggering I you know I don't want this to come across as PA bashing but it's just obviously it was a big theme on med twitter this week so we're going to talk about it aren't we we are so shall we Start with a tweet by, oh, that account has now been... Yeah, I think that's Dr. Ali Smith. But essentially what they were saying um, was that there was like this document, I can't remember exactly where it came from, but it was something about um, that if there's any gaps on like the medical rotor, that they they could replace 
they could fill these empty gaps rather with experienced PAs rather than than doctors. And people understandably got a bit kind of upset about that. And people are quite keen, you know, we're not interchangeable with different professions. I think that's how it all started. And this this Dr. Ali Smith said, I think he shared a DM, which obviously we don't have now because they've deleted their account. But I think he's he was getting anonymous DMs essentially of people who had these experiences and he was kind yep. of or he or she sorry was was um was airing those um but yeah I think it took a weird turn when some physician associates were, were saying like no I've, I've been to medical school uh, insinuating that yeah no I can be on the the medical rotor and that just like triggered med twitter completely I think that was it? the thing that triggered it I think because it was the inference that because they had been to medical school, their training was at the same level as doctors. Yeah. And so they were justifying how they could be used in to replace doctors on the rotor yeah. to be practicing at the same level. Yeah. And that's that that's the issue, isn't it? And but I think you know, what always go on, sorry. No, no, I say when people say they've gone when someone says to you they've gone to medical school, I think you do assume that they've gone to become a doctor isn't it and that's part of the issue as well because you've not or they've not it's that you know they've done a completely different course but they've done their training within a medical school yeah like accredited or something is it is it deceiving then to say like I generally don't know the answer to this but like is it is it deceiving then to say like oh I've I've been to medical school I think that was part of the issue wasn't it I think that is part of the issue and I think you know, the first thing we're taught is, is first do no harm. And so it just felt like reading that specific tweet, if I let that person would possibly be, would they be working within their competence? Would would they know their limits? Because Mm. a lot of thing in medicine is, you know, all the unknown unknowns. Um, And would they be, you don't know, do you? You don't know what you don't know. But, But does that come through? I mean, how much does medical school prepare you for being a doctor? But you yeah, know, no, is, that, is it... that's 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 fair. But I think the, the issue is, is that a physician associate's qualification or degree is not the same as a medical degree. But some people were like insinuating that that it was like they just generally didn't see, you know, a difference. And I think one person said, um, "Yes, I've been to medical school." Um, Where's it gone? I've passed my Royal College of Physicians exams. I'm ALS trained as well as receiving advanced training in neurology. And like you say, what are the limits there then, I guess, isn't it? I see what I see what you're saying. But I think another issue is um, if I could talk about not not the DM specifically, but just some of the issues that were raised um, by the DM. It was that when the PAs are on a rotor, they're paired with an SHO because they can't prescribe. So mm, and then the SHO yeah. is then expected to prescribe on you know their behalf or order investigations take the responsibility for patients they haven't seen and that's on top of their normal workload yeah so I feel like it's unfair on the PA to be putting them in a position where they may be outside of their competence if they're being if they're being used to fill in doctors you know doctors roles on on a on a rotor and it's unfair on the SHOs who are then paired with the PAs if they're having to actually take on this extra work that mm. I'm assuming they're they're not paid for. Well, no, on top t- of their normal work, their extra you're responsibility. On that risk. Yeah, you take yeah. on that risk as well, aren't you? That you know, is, you've not seen that person, and you know how it is. You get swept up, don't you? And so, go. Like, oh, can you just prescribe something for this person I've seen? And you just put your name to it, but it's like 
could potentially have like huge implications um, and there isn't the time to go through every single you know gosh, patient no. and I mean it happens to us how many times at work do you get you know somebody like knocking on your door like a nurse whatever saying you know can you just prescribe this quickly and yeah. for some I will because I know <laughs> they've been in their job for years they they, they know their mm. patients I trust their decision making whereas for somebody that you don't know you can't take on that responsibility yourself yeah if you especially don't if it's know. an on-call situation isn't it when you're not working yeah, with them exactly. regularly um but there was a really sensible take as well amongst all of this which sometimes can feel like a bit of a rarity on med twitter yeah. um but yeah i think this gentleman was saying we cannot with one hand reassure doctors and the public we don't want to be a replacement for doctors and on the other hand take jobs from doctors we cannot be seen to be so desperate to defend our profession that we ignore legitimate concerns from doctors who are facing their own very real and very challenging issues I love being a PA but always as always we must remember that we are not doctors and should fight against situations like this which reduce opportunities for doctors PA should be additional and beneficial we shouldn't be competing for the same opportunities because we do different jobs. And I quite like this sentence. There is some overlap, of course, but that Venn diagram of skills shouldn't ever approach a circle. This isn't our fault. It isn't the fault of the doctors either. This is an issue with those at the top, it always is, who are seeing an mm-hmm. opportunity to plug holes in a leaky ship as quickly as possible. So, yeah, I think no one can disagree with that, can they? Yeah, that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? I mean, did you see that um, BBC panorama? I think it was last oh, month. Oh, yeah. It was a couple of weeks About ago, the wasn't it? Opero's, yeah. yeah, American private company taking over GP surgeries, and they were employing PAs in place mm. of GPs to try and plug those gaps really quickly. Yeah. Um, but again, you're not. That I think terrifying. there are space of PAs and doctors in the same environment, but I oh, mean, there's no clear definition of where one role ends and another role begins, and I think that's that's the yeah. issue. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, and I guess, again, on the bingo card of repeated med Twitter topics, (laughs) it's embarrassing how predictable we are, isn't it? Um, Was the usual, like, tweet about forcing doctors to, like, pay this service back to the NHS. Um, And again, I think this tweet has been deleted, but I like to keep receipts. So it said... uh, Well done, Bethan. We must train our own doctors here in the UK and bind them contractually for several years to working for the NHS to prevent them from graduating, then skipping (laughs) off to high paid jobs in Australia, Canada or USA until they've contributed for long enough to repay the training costs. And and to be to be fair to this gentleman um, in some of his replies. Well, first of all, I think around 4000 people actually like that, which means there's a lot of people who agree with this, which is concerning. Um, but to be fair, I think he did say he did kind of try and redeem himself in the replies, which, uh, oh, he said that, you know, in, in return for that medical education should be free, which is, I guess, trying to pull it back. But there's just a lot of issues with that sentiment, isn't there? Oh, it's ridiculous. Like, you can't force people to work in a system, you know, is bad. Like, find out why people are leaving, mm. you know. Why are people leaving? Surely that should be the main incentive behind this rather than forcing people to stay for a few years. If you find out why they're leaving, and I think this is a big problem that we have in the NHS is when somebody does leave, there isn't an exit interview. Is there nobody that I've left, I know who's who's had had that exit interview. 
So unless you know the issue, you can't address I it. I think we do. I think we do, though, don't we? The issue, one of the issues well, is we well do. known. We do but know. It, yeah. That, so the people who hold the purse strings are never going to, or they're trying their hardest not to do anything about that. But like the people who like hold this view, they just have, I feel like they never, they're not, not often doctors that hold this view. These was people that person are, who wrote it? Was he a doctor? I don't Within believe the NHS? So. No, I don't believe he was a doctor. Yeah, it doesn't okay. say on his profile or anything. Um, and I, do, I just don't think they understand like what it's really taken people to get to where they are. Like it's both a huge financial cost. And we now, we're now hearing stories of people who have up to like a hundred grand in student debt that they're paying off. But it's also like a massive personal cost as well, isn't it? Like all those occasions that you miss, all the free time that you give to your job and all the hours that you end up like working for free or whatever. And I think people are like, no, that's that's enough. Like, why should you give even more than that? But it's it's all a bit weird in the NHS like that. You, you're made to feel that you owe the NHS oh my by, God, yeah. just by being in, because you know it's understaffed and it's struggling. So you feel this guilt and this people make you feel guilty and pressured into... I don't know, this sort of hero, saviour. Like if, if you leave, then you're letting everybody down. Whereas in which other job do you have that pressure to, you know, mm. work for your for your employer for this many years, no matter how shitty and how miserable you are, you are, in, you know, you enslaved to do it. Yeah, I think it's that sunk cost fallacy, isn't it? Is that what they call it? Um, where someone's like reluctant to abandon kind of what they're doing because you've invested heavily in it when it's clear that actually getting out would be better for you yeah it's exactly like we're just we've all got this weird complex about it I I think is most people would want to work in an NHS if it was a functioning and healthy system people I don't think majority of the people go into medical school to want to you know leave to do other things I, I think I think a lot of people do want to stay in the NHS but they feel they can't because the system is absolutely crushing and it's yeah you can't stay for your own well-being or yeah, it's exactly. not compatible with your with the rest yeah. of your life so until you sort that issue out don't don't force people to stay for goodness sake we're not we're adults people should be able yeah. to make their own decisions and you've got to look out for yourself because working for the NHS they ain't going to do it like something happens to you like you'll be replaced oh yeah absolutely and I think some people I I think maybe not people who have like worked in there for some time but I think there's always a risk and I think I'd certainly had this complex when I first started as an an F1 and you you truly feel like you are integral and you like like a cog in this machine and that you're needed and, and you are but if you were to just go somebody else will pick up that role whether it's someone of the same profession or a different profession it's not going to fall apart without you and I think when you when you realize that and it hits home that's when you start to look after number one a bit more and realize that actually no one else is going to do that for you like you're the only person that you can kind of rely on isn't it um oh my god there's so much doom and gloom I know because We've got next... lots of doom and gloom on all our um, uh, list. Kind of week today. it's been. Um, but the next, the next, well, again, another topic that's come up again and again. And to be fair, I don't think I'd actually seen this one for a little while. Um, but it's the topic of annual leave, Christmas, Christmas, and those who have children, isn't children. it? Children, yeah. 
So, so what was the so the original tweet was by Ben Lovell. Yep. Um and he put but what happens if all six doctors on a team all request the week over Christmas offers annual leave, all with three months notice? Really interested to know people's thoughts on this because it happens every year and I've never found a happy solution. Yeah, I don't wrote a, <laughs> I don't envy rotor co- coordinators. No, I, I did I did either. it once in New I've never done it. Never it's done a it. Bawling, man. Never like, will. Can, no, you can never please everyone, and obviously everyone's frustrations Thankless then go job, to you. Isn't it? Oh my god, yeah. I was hoping I would like get a letter out of it that I could like put in my portfolio, but <laughs> this didn't. I was just yeah, like, be the, worth rota, it. the rota bitch for for a year. But uh, but yeah, there was obviously there was loads of responses, and the usual stuff was coming up, and the usual stuff like oh, find people who maybe don't mind working it so they can have a different time off or picking names out of a hat and trying to make you know abandon the rotor for Christmas and then try and make it even and see who worked last year and whatever whatever but then our favorite answer came up and said uh, Kate well yeah the usual lots of mature ways to do it personally I think people with kids get first refusal after that draw straws so oh ouch yeah it's not it's, it's never that black and white is it It's not that black and white. And I I think, I mean, as having kids myself, yeah, I I would have been really gutted to miss Christmas with, you know, with with my kids. Like, especially like the ages between three and seven. When they're babies, they're not really aware of what's going on. When they're older, you know, you can just do Christmas on another day. But between the ages of three and seven, I I do, I genuinely would have been heartbroken if I had to miss like a Christmas morning. um, Yeah. Of them, you know, their excitement over, oh my gosh, it's Father Christmas thing. I wouldn't have missed that for the world. Mm. But at the end of the day, you're in a profession where you need you need cover. And it's completely, I mean, having children was my choice. If that was mm. my turn on the rotor, I would never expect somebody to cover it for me just because I've got kids. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there needs to be I don't think it, we necessarily have to do like a rolling rotor now it happens to fall on Christmas because for some people it, it is going to be a bigger deal than for other people. For example, if you've got, you know, I don't know, parents who are, you know, elderly or if you've got family who live abroad or you know, whatever reason it is, it doesn't matter what the reason is. If they just really want to have Christmas with their family that year because they need it for themselves, it doesn't, doesn't matter what the reason is. Yeah. Um, and that's personal to that person. And I don't think they should have to share that reason out with everybody because then it becomes whose reason is more important and that's not for anybody else that's not for anyone to decide yeah I think we should I don't know just have a conversation as adults exactly is there somebody who would want to who would be happy covering it and remunerate the people properly pay them triple quadruple for working Christmas you know it's it's a shitty day to work so pay people right for working it or say they've got to do a less I don't know, one week less of nights in the year, or I don't know, whatever it is, just make working Christmas, you know, more attractive to people rather yeah. than it being forced upon people. And it's it's not everyone who who says this, and like I say, there's new ones, it's not black and white, but I, I don't like being made to feel that because I've not got kids that my family time is less important or less valuable. Exactly. And like, yeah, people would hate to miss Christmas with their kids, but also I don't live anywhere near family, um, exactly. I'm here on my own and so I would like to spend Christmas with my family who are not children but they're still my family 
So like, why should that be any different? It's no less or more valuable. But then I completely get... far enough away where you can't just do half a shift and go. Exactly. Yeah. But I get that like over Christmas, there's no childcare available. Obviously schools are off. There's no club. So like you say, I think it's all about having that that um discussion isn't it and just like working it out amongst your team I don't see how there's any other way but I just hate it when it just keeps coming around it's like oh yeah people with kids should have first dibs like they and then you just get what's left it's like no it doesn't it absolutely not be completely unfair like how it's it's having kids is your own that. choice I mean I do I mean I do and I I do understand if you're if you're a parent and it clubs are closed particularly if you're a single parent you don't have family nearby if there is nowhere to put your kids exactly. like, what are you going to do? Like physically, what exactly. are you going to do? I remember being stuck once and having to take my kids into work with me because mm. I was completely stuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw a few people kind of mention that particularly. And I guess, well, well, the people I saw mention it were like worked in GP surgeries. It's very yeah, different it was, to a hospital, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, very different. Back around A&E. Come on, kids. Um, <laughs> Strap them yeah, back. Yeah. Take you Come back on. around. Do a couple of histories. <laughs> get some bloods done. Do a couple of cannulas. Help out. Pull your weight. Um, That's the one thing about general practice. You only have to work Christmas Day if you choose to. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah that is a... That, close. That is a so I've never beauty. had this issue, luckily. Yeah. And I'm I'm longing till that point where I like get to ST three in two thousand and whatever twenty three or I can't twenty four I don't even know where I'm like in my GP practice and no longer have to do like a bank holiday rotor so <laughs> it's coming choose GP people we're not yeah. in crisis anymore no we're not in crisis <laughs> there's Life no is crisis amazing. here it's, it's chilled, chilled chilled um again something that comes up and I think well I don't even know if we're going to come to anything new in this episode maybe we will I don't know um we could have just replayed one of our old episodes yeah just Just added some stuff about the government resignations at the beginning to make it sound a little bit contemporary (laughs) and then just took the remaining hour off um but yeah as it's approaching August and change over day I think it's like three weeks just under or three weeks just under three weeks until changeover um the usual kind of tips for new docs season is in full swing um and I think the guys mentioned a couple of things on their podcast last week but I quite liked how this week it seemed to be a bit of a flavor not so much tips for f1s but like tips for regs or tips for senior colleagues um and I think there was a good yeah Richard Webb asked you know, do you have tips for a new reg? You know, there's lots of tips for <laughs> F1s, but actually I'm stepping up. And is there any kind of tips for that? Um, what would your tips be? you going from, you know, neuro SHO to reg. What did you... I don't know. It's you, so personal, isn't it? Like, of wisdom? I don't know. I think um, I was I was thinking back at this time and I distinctly remember the date and the day that I was like on the Tuesday I was an ST2 I think I'd been like a new resurgery SHO for three or four years and towards the end of that ST2 year I was getting quite angsty I just didn't want to be an SHO any longer I never thought I'd feel like that because I thought oh god responsibility it's not for me but I suddenly started to crave it um and I think either you do or or you don't. I think you either feel ready or mm. you or you don't feel ready. And I don't think I felt ready, but I just was like, okay, I'm, I need to do something else now. I need to kind of step up and have something different because I was getting my like I was getting lots of opinions about management and you know it's just you can't really express anything, can you, as a as an SHO? Um, no. Or I, I couldn't in where I was, and it was bizarre because I remember like on the Tuesday 
for the neuro-oncology team. I was the SHO. And then literally how it worked, I was going to be the registrar. But normally you would change teams, but I was staying on the same team. So I remember like on the Tuesday, I had all these cases that were like, oh, these need to go to theatre. I need to discuss with my boss. Are they happy to me, happy for me to consent them, et cetera, et cetera. And then I like went to bed on the Tuesday night and I woke up the Wednesday morning <laughs> as the registrar and I was now taking those patients to theatre by myself. And I was like, what Did you discuss heck? it with yourself? Did you write yourself a little note on the Tuesday yeah, discuss, and then pick it discuss off discuss on the Wednesday? John. She just says, do what the heck you like. But I remember I was like, I was just doing the emergency list on like, I was kind of doing it. Obviously my consultants were in the hospital, but always as an SHO, I was always there with a reg. And now I was kind of there as a reg by myself. I don't know, it just felt really liberating that I had my playlist on and people oh, were like... see, that's when you know you've made it, when you've got your playlist on. You know, on. people ask you like, oh, Dr. John, what, what, uh, Miss John, whatever, what preparation would you like? Or are you happy with these drapes? And I was just like, oh, who, who are they talking to? I was like, oh, shit. Hang on, like, I have to make my these playlist decisions. first and then I can... Oh, God, <laughs> yeah. I, had, I still got my little surgery playlist. It was a very, very nice mixture of tunes. But yeah, I just think like, I don't know if I would have any tips, um, but I just think like, I just, my main one was knowing that you're like, the buck still doesn't stop at you, even as a reg. Yeah. yeah, You might, you might be there by yourself, but ultimately that consultant still has responsibility. So there was always like, there was like one more step I could like approach in that extent. And I was protected in some fashion. Mm. Um, but what about you? Like when you did your GP reg year, was there something that you wish you'd known or? Uh, my GP reg year was a little bit odd because I had, I took a, um, out of program year between my Mm. ST2 and ST3 year. So I had been away in, um, working in South Africa. And so that, (laughs) I mean, I mean, after why are we laughing at this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just, just, it's just kind of laughable at the kind of medicine I was doing there, and then coming back to my GP oh, regular. I really yeah. struggled. I really struggled coming back. I mean, I mean, what I was dealing with out there. I mean, it was a, a two hundred bed hospital, two hundred two fifty bed hospital, and um, mm. we had about one hundred and fifty patients coming through A and E every day, and then one hundred and fifty coming through outpatients every day and there was nine of us at the beginning and the last um the last two weeks it was just myself my husband and one other doctor you know and it's 24-hour theater you're you know you're doing surgery you're being the anesthetist Mm. you're just you're doing obs and gynae you're doing you're just doing everything the most stuff that you feel like you see on tv like that sort of medicine that that you're responsible for and then doing that and then doing my GP reg, in, you know, in, you know, Hampshire and dealing with things that, I, I, yeah, I, I really struggled with um, the medicine that I saw because I felt mm. like I was practicing really defensive medicine for fairly minor illnesses. And I really struggled with my um, portfolio, really struggled with doing yeah. the portfolio. I think it's, I, it felt so pointless to me like I'm, I'm sorry sorry I still kind of feel that way um it just felt no, so like in comparison to what you were doing isn't it in I comparison. guess so it took yeah. me a good I would say four or five months actually to adjust back to the medicine here properly mm. yeah. I still get frustrated with it at times but oh gosh I can imagine um 
but um i'd probably i probably gave the same tip as as you did i think um asking for help um gets harder the more senior you get because you you know when you're always taught oh there's no such thing as a stupid question you know now's mm. the time to ask it so when you're an f1 or an f2 you think oh you know i, I I'm only an F1. I'm I'm only an F2. So, you know, I've only been a doctor for, you know, a short period of time. So I can, it's justified me asking that question. Yeah. But then there's a switch, isn't it? You're a registrar. So it's assumed you have this certain level of knowledge and competence. So if you don't know the answer to something or you're questioning your decision making, you just think, well, am I right to question it? Would other people at my level be questioning it? Um, So I think it becomes harder the more senior you get. Up to a, then you reach a point where you don't don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> you don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> a lot of people think about it's you. Like, oh, I need help. Yeah. Like, hang on, I'm just gonna get. You know, I, I don't know yeah. the answer. I'm gonna get some help, but it doesn't. It doesn't it's really you hard, one bit. Isn't it? Because like, I feel like where I am in my career now, um, like I've gone straight into GP into a GP rotation. I've never done GP as a foundation doctor. The last time I did any GP work or rotation was like year three of medical school. So you're talking like 12, 13, I don't know, maybe a bit longer years ago. And so this to me is like completely new. And so I feel like I'm constantly like having, you know, and we obviously supervised anyway, but I feel like there's been occasions where I've been made to feel by no one in particular, please, yeah, don't come for me, but I've been made to feel like, I don't know, that maybe what I'm asking is like too much. And I think that can be so detrimental to that person who then might feel, oh, they're raising concerns because they need extra support. And it's like, no, like, I'm asking for your help and because this is like new I think that's the worry then is that you don't want to get branded as like a problematic trainee or whatever and you know obviously if you did for that reason there's bigger issues afoot with your training program yeah but that that's the kind of worry now that I've got set in my mind because that's been said about me on this rotation and it's it's hard isn't it like you should just be able to ask like without any fear of repercussions it's dangerous isn't it as well if you if you're trainee is thinking twice about asking you for help for a patient, then they're probably more likely to take yeah, on the that's, risks that's just because they yeah. feel that they don't yeah. feel safe to approach you to, to ask you for fear of being yeah. bollocked. Um, or, you know, they're questioning if they can cope with the training, which is a complete yeah. nonsense. And I think exactly some people underestimate, you've gone from a very, you know, niche specialty to complete I think moving from one special any specialty to another is going to be really you know oh, really we, we challenging know that like foundation program don't we like every time you have to change four months you'd have to learn something new like over again it's it's really yeah. stressful um but Nick uh who's at I think is at Nicopotamus actually wrote quite a nice thread about uh tips for new regs so if you search the hashtag tips for new regs and at Nicopotamus um you should it's a find really that. Thread, really good thread wasn't tips. it really good yeah. thread um, and I liked I liked Molly's tip. I think Molly's an F one in Scotland at the moment, <laughs> isn't she? And I think her tip is probably the most important of them all. Um, and that was essentially just to say, um, yeah, F one F one finishes eventually. <laughs> so it's like really important to hold on to onto that or any any bad rotation that you're in. Just remember, it will finish. You will move on from there. I think that was something to probably the main thing to to hold on to yeah. um, but just just to mention I this is only something that I've been aware of more recently but have you seen that juniordoctors.co.uk website no I haven't seen that actually 
it's actually like um I don't it's like really a review know. website so for just reviews um, of different hospitals and yeah and training programs and stuff yeah it's really interesting so there's like obviously some really positive stuff on there and some really negative stuff and I found it quite interesting searching for where I've worked and stuff in the past um but yeah juniordoctors.co.uk apparently um well no apparently it does exist <laughs> um I'm, not, right I'm now. making this up uh, but yeah it's quite I just thought it was quite um it's quite a good thing, I think, and I guess the more people who post stuff on there anonymously, of course it is, the better. Um, but yeah, it was just some good things and places where I've worked previously. I'm like, oh yeah, I felt that as well. Like it's not, it's not just me. But that's exactly what you need, isn't it, as a trainee when you're starting yeah. a new job to actually have a rough idea of absolutely what your workload's going to be like when you get there. And like as well, typically that happens every year, like nothing happens on time or nothing is straightforward. And I know Bella Rochetti's um, had a bit of an issue this week about kind of still not knowing where she's going to be working as an F1 in less than three weeks. And um, and lots of people like rightly so respond with, um, you know, you should involve the BMA, uh, email the CEO or, you know, contact a union and stuff. And I think people underestimate how like stressful that actually is of course that's the right course of action that that's what you have to do um and Abby like hit the nail on the head and she said you know the thing about fighting going to BMA sending emails contacting Oki Health etc it's tiring it makes you wake with anxiety and get knots in your stomach as you open emails there are often solutions but maybe hospitals and training programs should just not be (laughs) terrible which is very fair but yeah, it seems like that resonated with quite a lot of people. I think people underestimate actually how stressful it is. And like Bella said, you feel like a naughty school child when you're the yeah. one that's raising it, even though it's it's not your fault. In this, it's actually being done to you. But you're, you're the, the one basics, that's aren't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely feel that because, I mean, like, I mean, I had a rough. Go on, you, you've. No, no, I was just going to say I'm I'm less than full time and it's the first time I've ever been less than full time. And all those things that Abby described there, I was like, oh my God, I I thought I was like being lazy, not lazy or, but like there was something that I just couldn't respond to email straight away or I would put off checking my emails and I thought, oh, just get a grip or stop being lazy, just get on with it. But it's because like, I'm doing less than full time for health reasons. Like I say, it's the first time ever and trying to sort out those rotors and the occupational health recommendations has been the most stressful thing, no doubt about it with starting GP training. And yeah, I was feeling sick just opening these emails or waiting like days to respond to them because I just couldn't calm down enough to to do that. I mean, you were considering just going full time because the whole process was so stressful. You're like, should I just sit it and just go full time because I can't handle it? This it was just causing you so much anxiety. Yeah, it's completely besides like the point of why why you were doing it in the first place. So, I think that's a very yeah under recognized. kind of issue with all these things just not being how they should it's just this emotional like toll that it that it takes Takes. I mean I had a slight issue do you remember two years ago when I took that job um oh yeah that that NHS role and I I just they just wouldn't pay me I I took I can't believe that do you remember and I kept messing what do I do I've emailed and they're ignoring it and I've you know, given like a deadline, like, please pay me by this date. And it just mm. wasn't happening in four months it took to get paid. And yeah. it's just, it's 
completely unacceptable. I don't really know many other jobs that this would be tolerated in the same people, like you just yeah you either get paid or you just don't go to work but it's never like, that, it's never that simple, is a mortgage yeah. and you know I know yeah that was ludicrous it yeah. was getting to the point where um I was thinking do I tweet this out because I'm not getting anywhere like with emails and escalating it? it all the you know in the yeah. appropriate ways do I mm. you know yeah that tweet was crazy out? And I think hindsight's, hindsight's great. And I think like, oh, if I was ever in that position, I'd like to like, I guess threaten them is not the right word, but like, I'd be like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not coming to work until this is solved. And someone made a good point and said, the, the, one of the quickest ways to get these issues resolved is either by like emailing in or tagging in the CEO of the trust on Twitter um, <laughs> or like writing to your MP. And it's like, what world has it got to that we have to write to our MP? <laughs> to get these things sorted for our job that should just be mainstream anyway like that is the point of their job it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm gonna write to my MP because my job's not paid me imagine it's just <laughs> it's crazy isn't it that you think that that's even a thing now that you'd have to do it is um, crazy but talking about kind of the health of doctors and doctors as patients as such there was a post this week um from a cardiology registrar wasn't there yeah that was really yeah his name is uh, Douglas Lee um and he put down I'm a dialysis patient and I'm also a cardiology trainee the deanery is sending me to a hospital one and a half hours away during rush hour if I leave at 5 30 home at 7 Start four hours dialysis at 7.30, needles out at about midnight. To me, that's unsustainable, but the deanery are deaf to my concern. Mm. I mean, I was I was floored reading that. I was completely shocked. It's just it's horrible, isn't it? I don't really know horrifying. what to say. I, 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 I really don't know, know what to say. say. I mean, how, I just... did we, how did we get to this point where... Any person that thinks, any person in that school or cardiology or medicine or whatever, who thinks that's fine and appropriate, because I think this person said that they've spoken to the head of school and there was, there was no budging on it. Like, how do you think that that's, like, decent? How could you go home and just exactly. think that you're, you've done the right thing? I, um, it, yeah. I don't actually have it's the just, words. I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just appalling on every level yeah really is and then on top of go on you carry on no no were you going to say then about kind of the criticism that this person had for using twitter posting it yeah i don't know i think it's typical now i feel like seniors or people in training programs who are obviously much higher up than people like myself use these things to like weaponize against you and they make it about professionalism or breaching social media policies but why but professionalism goes both ways exactly but they don't they don't see that where's their professionalism in demanding this uh, this trainee yeah Uh, uh, i mean surely isn't that you know counselors disability discrimination yeah i think that's you'd have to go down and that's what they um, don't want being shown on twitter exactly and that's that's the argument isn't it like how could you go against that um and i just think it's hard because the people the higher ups in these schools and deaneries they're like they hold all the strings and they hold all the power and i think it's really difficult as a trainee sometimes to feel like you can speak up about that but you've got every right to and if they are calling but you feel you don't have every right to why would you no, feel exa- you have exactly. a right to you when do, the, but your you don't employers feel you do. are 
you know, look how they're treating him. It's, it's disgusting. And then, I mean, if this... Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting really annoyed. Okay. Yeah, I'm something, swear in a something was weaponized me against something was weaponized against me once, sorry. Um at an undisclosed time, undisclosed rotation, etc. About something that I had like tweeted. It was more like it was kind of like a rage tweet, but also asking for a bit of advice. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it was all completely anonymous. And I've never mentioned like my full name, it used to be on Twitter. I don't, you know, you could know my full name, but at this point, I think I was tweeting under just my first name. Um, and it was about some something that had happened and I'd never said where I worked or anything like that at this particular time. Um, and essentially was like, you know, is is what I've just experienced is like, is that allowed to happen? Um, and it turns out it wasn't, but that was kind of like weaponized me as then like, oh, this we now have concerns about your professionalism because of what you've tweeted. But what and you I, tweeted I, was a very generic exactly, tweet. And it very was, generic. you were raising concerns. Yeah. I fell for it. I was a complete sucker and I literally panicked and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. This this is this is it now. I'm going to kick off a training program. And, it, and I was just thinking, and then actually, like it took me weeks to realise no, nothing that I said was incorrect. Also, I've never named anyone. I've never named a place, mm. like nothing at all. And I just thought, no, that's just, it's it's gaslighty behavior. And I think that's the same in this situation now. It's like, oh, well, you've used Twitter and then they make that the issue. But actually the issue is that this poor gentleman is having these issues with his dialysis and it's completely inappropriate as to like where they're sending him. But yeah, like it just doesn't, it doesn't work both ways. You're absolutely right. Um, And I quite like It's the power imbalance. That's what it is, yeah, isn't it? You it's can't, a huge you, power imbalance. You can't speak out. So whistleblowing is such a... It's the whistleblower that gets in trouble because you, yeah. you're not allowed to speak out. And you yeah. are replaceable and you know that they have the power to fire, <laughs> get rid of you. It was it was Dr. Beth, not not me, um, a better Dr. Beth. Uh, and she said, when quiet. consultants uh, suddenly get experience of being a patient, they get a column in the BMJ about it. I have no problem with this. It is useful. But when trainees dare to have experience of being a patient, we are treated as, an, as a nuisance and annoyance. You know, could we just not? So, I th- And that just hits the nail on the head. Like, why is it any different? Mm-hmm. It's, it is oh, different now. I mean, I've had, I've had slight, I I mean, it's not comparable in any way at all, but I've had, I had a slight um, kind of experience with this as a trainee and then as, uh, as a GP. So in my pregnancies, I suffered really badly with hyperemesis, like truly awful. Um, I I couldn't, couldn't even work. Uh, And I remember as a trainee, I was definitely made to feel like a nuisance. Mm. I was told... Um, I was told by my supervisor at the time that uh, pregnancy um, is a normal physiological process and it's not an illness. And this is when I was vomiting, oh you know, goodness. I'm not joking, 20 to 30 times a day, not passing urine for over six to eight hours. It just, you know, really unwell. Um, yeah, I was, mm. the whole attitude towards me completely changed because now I was suddenly an inconvenience. Um, But then when I was an independent GP, a salary GP, and then it happened, you know, I had the high premises of my second pregnancy, completely different approach, Mm. completely. They were so supportive, um, really understanding. And, you know, it's probably more inconvenient for them, actually, as in in, in terms of work wise, because they've had this doctor that's had to, you know, leave for, you know, two months or whatever. 
I, I don't know if that's the attitude of because of, of the people that I was working with at the time or whether it's because I was a trainee versus being an you know an independent you know qualified <laughs> I, I don't know but there yeah, was a significant was, difference yeah. significant but difference. that senior I guess you're senior then aren't you it's again like that consultant type of thing it's yeah. very very different experience um but but Scott um who's at DOB 86 also uh, tweeted his experience and he said postgraduate training and yearly rotating hospitals has broken me I've got elective surgery coming up and I'm trying to figure out how to take as few sick days as possible to appease the ARCP panel then I'm trying to not let it affect my new hospital induction so I still get paid the kind of advice would be just think of your health and everything will be sorted but that but it won't though I've bitter experiences of NHS HR not being able to deal with minor deviations and ARCP panels being sticklers for rules. I just think, what 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 point does it got to? Whereas, like as doctors, I feel like we obviously maybe more than some people, you know, as healthcare professionals, we understand the importance yeah. of like health and recovery. This and is what we do. This is our it's, job. Yeah, this this is our job. This oh my god, it job. actually is our job. But then to each other and to our colleagues. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you might not pass ARCP, so you have to figure out how to take at least as little days off as possible. I still remember as a junior doctor, I remember remember this so clearly. I was doing arms and gynae as an SHO, and another SHO had been really poorly and had come in when they'd returned back to work. They were just off work for just a few days with a Mm. sick note from their GP. And I kid you not, the consultant said said to her, well, if you're well enough to get out of bed to go into your GP, you're well enough to come into work. Oh, what kind God. of... I, I just, I, I, I just started like, I assumed it was a joke, but he was yeah. deadly, ser- deadly serious. Gee. Oh, my God. And you know what? I think there's, like, obviously still people like that around, which is just terrifying and they're the ones that keep saying it's the juniors (laughs) who are the ones that then have to leave and then it's these bullies who actually stay in their little they stay in their position and they carry on this cycle there was this one tweet though do you remember the last week the guys were talking about that bloody tiktok video i think it was a a nurse in america who had just supposedly lost a patient and then conveniently managed to obviously like set set up up some sort of video tripod yeah video herself like (laughs) huffing against the wall and like oh god you gotta get through this next five hours shake it off there was a response to that this week and uh by at not brian canoy and he tweeted (laughs) something we should all have those little medical bracelets but they tell the nurse that you're not allowed to do a tiktok video (laughs) about you It's like, yeah, there's a bracelet for epilepsy or there's a bracelet that I'm on steroids or type 1 diabetic. And then there's a bracelet to say, you're not allowed to do a TikTok video about me. We should also get those bracelets for pregnant women, you know, in case they have a baby at home. And so the ambulance people can't post. Yeah, you're not allowed to put a photo of me on Twitter. my baby. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. What what world have we... Yeah, I don't know. Um, But unsurprisingly, there were... Going on from one... Yeah, more weird takes. Some really awful weird takes this week. Do you want to say this one? Do you want to say the name? Jonathan Tomlinson, yeah? Just say what he suggested. He suggested, doctors who repeatedly prescribe drugs like tramadol and pregabalin should try them first, preferably together with benzos and opiates. That's a great name. 
and then consult your patient um, and yeah. then try to have a good hard think about their prescribing behavior That's and illegal, if you've taken these drugs you won't know what it means to say they work especially I mean I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> illegal right well, yeah, you're you're trucking up all your colleagues before, whilst well, they're steal, in stealing benzos out of the CD cupboard <laughs> on the ward. She's like, oh, it's okay. I'm just trying to empathise with my patients. Doctor John, why are you why are you trucking back that oromorph? It's like, oh, I'm just trying to empathise. I just need to see how it feels. It's only then can I then treat my patients. It's like it's going crazy. for your neurosurgery operation. I've prescribed you all these this morphine. I just do my own craniotomy on, me, on myself first. I'm just going to do a cheeky little bear hole just to know how it feels. Bloody hell. Like, I get, like, there's something about empathising, but you don't need to have had an illness to be able to treat it, surely? That's the whole exactly. point of medical school. That's and the whole point of evidence-based training. medicine. Um. Uh. Yeah, he he then went on to say, I worked with a psychiatrist who tried everything before they prescribed it. One of the best doctors I knew. That's a weird flex, isn't it? Very weird. Weird flex. Um, I watched I watched Dope Sick recently. Have you seen that show? No, I'm obsessed with Stranger Things at the moment, so I've got no oh, room yeah, for anything amazing. else in my life right now. I still TV haven't wise. brought myself to watch the very... No, I haven't brought myself to watch the last episode. Gee, I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear anything about it. I'm not it. telling you anything about it. I just can't watch it. I'm like, I need to be with someone to to finish the series. But um, I'll drive up but, to you. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but you're way behind. I'm just like, no, I need I'm it now. Not. I'm not. I'm on season. Need it now. I'm on season four, episode Oh, amazing. Five. That's excellent. Um, oh, it's so good. But yeah, Dope Sick was really good. It really opened my eyes. So it was about um, the Sackler family in America and this company called Purdue Pharma. They were the ones that like made OxyContin um, and they marketed it as a drug it's obviously it's an opiate isn't it it's oxycodone modified release but they marketed it as um that it's not non-addictive because it was modified release um that it was non-addictive and then obviously that led to the entire opioid epidemic in america and like i think over half a million people have said to have died because of this particular issue now um it's an eight-part series i think it's on disney plus it's done so well michael keaton is the doctor in it who that's why it made me think of this because he then ended up on oxycontin and getting addicted and whatever and his character is not a particular person but it was based on like an amalgamation of doctors that that's actually happened to but all this stuff that the the farm the pharmaceutical company was saying was obviously lies and all the graphs they were using were really deceptive because um, we do know it's an opiate so of course it's addictive yeah um but yeah really really good show and I think there's some books written about it I think Empire of Pains um Layla uh Turkogulu Turk sorry if I've said, butchered your name there Layla um but she recommended I think yeah I would really recommend it what's it so, called again sorry dope dope sick oh okay Put so in the show they said dope sick is the term that addicts or people who are addicted that's what the term that, that that's what they feel when they need to have that um when they need to have like another top up or hit of the drug they are dope sick but I, I've not heard that term before but it was okay. it was really good um and annoyingly I don't think any of the Sackler family have been like um prosecuted for any of this well obviously they were the ones that actually caused it but I'm getting way off track now I'm turning no, no, into some that's... rant but yeah it was really good go watch dope sick 
but also watch Stranger Things because it's amazing. Um, there was another weird drug take. I think America American Med Twitter went a bit crazy over paracetamol again this week. I, I think it they? was. Is it? Is this the ibuprofen one? In, so I think the... it started. I think it's. I think America. I think that's. I think it's two separate things. So I think oh, they went crazy over tweets. paracetamol again. Um, for some reason, I don't think Americans like it or take it at the dose we do I think there was some video I, I, I never saw it but there was some video going around about the damage that paracetamol can cause to your organs and it's like yeah of course if you overdose it's going to cause damage but I think the fact when we say that we take like one gram QDS I think that like blows their minds that they think that's like an overdose oh, what and, do they, um, what's, their, what's their normal dose then I don't know I think that is the dose but they just don't use it like that yeah. that is the dose that's recommended like it's still four grams per 24 hours but I think I don't know if people it's like it's really tentatively used and I think um Dr Noodles posted a, a photo of some paracetamol that she'd had purchased from America and obviously they were like 500 gram capsules which was what we have here and they were labeled extra strength <laughs> It's like no, that's that's just normal strength. Get a grip. Get a grip. Oh my goodness! But yeah, the other issue was the, the ibuprofen challenge. Yeah, yeah. So it's like there's like this box of five hundred tablets of ibuprofen. I don't know what I'm assuming it would be two hundred milligrams. Yeah, I think it said it was two hundred milligram tablets. Someone gives you a hundred thousand dollars to finish this in one sitting. Can you do it? I I don't it's... get. I mean. There's not, not enough of meprazole in the world for that. <laughs> like, imagine. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it, that this Stuff might like this is actually on that... the internet and someone stupid enough might actually do it, you know? Exactly. Do you remember, there was, was it the Tide Pod Challenge when people started eating, like, those laundry pods? And that stemmed from something like, oh, would you eat a laundry pod? And then all these kids I on TikTok were doing it. I don't remember that one. I know there was uh, You're too cultured to, to get involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> you're too cultured nina no, i'm way too cultured so something um a little more light-hearted to end the podcast now i feel like we've brought you a lot of negativity i know let's yes. match the sunshine and brighten up this podcast well, we'll do, do the best Cringe. we can nina. It's, <laughs> it's a tough job a tough job it's a tough job so this was a tweet by uh, james Thambiaraja. And he put, um, I'm at a wedding and we're doing introductions around the table of what we do. I said I was a GP and someone replied, you do look like a GP. <laughs> do you know have what? You ever had, have you ever had it I with someone? I know James very well. And he actually does look, I don't know why, but he does. I don't even know him and I'd say that he looks like a GP. <laughs> it's the, I don't know it's what the it is sweat. Sorry, James. It's the, I think it's the sweater vest. It's, I don't think, it's not a bad thing. No, it's, it's not, a not a bad thing. thing. I feel like I've been called a lot worse than that in the past. <laughs> But have you, have you, has anyone ever said to you that you look like something or not even like a certain specialty, but of people saying that you look like something else or that you don't look like something? I don't like think something? anyone ever assumes I'm a, I'm a doctor. Like yeah, normally I they just get that kind either. of look at me with a very questionable, are you sure? I think it's my accent. Like when I'm more chilled, I think my Essex accent comes out a bit more. And I think that, I don't know why people assume that I can't be a doctor if I have an Essex accent. Yeah. I have that comment a couple of times what about you have you people thought you were a different specialty yeah I had this um very compass mentus patient once that would like refuse to believe that I was the doctor I couldn't even break like I couldn't even blame it on any kind of like 
neurological dysfunction <laughs> and she, she she kept reporting me to pals um <gasps> I think she put she no reported way. me to pals once and she reported me to like the senior staff on the ward because she was like why are you letting your ward receptionist do <laughs> blood gases on me and I was just like I am not she's like but you sit down at the desk and you look at that computer and you type stuff and I'm like I'm the F1. <laughs> this is my job. I am a doctor. And she, this poor lady, she just wasn't having any of it. And she just kept complaining that they were letting the admin staff on the ward do all these procedures on her. And I just thought, oh my God. I don't know. Maybe I, oh yeah. I, would, I, don't, I, I don't know what it, it looks like to look like a receptionist, um, but I, I don't mind that. I was like, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take that. As an F1, F2, I did. I get a few like, oh, I, are you sure you're old enough to be a doctor, dear? I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> like, hello. Yeah, that was five traumatic years in medical school. I definitely remember those. Um, definitely remember there was those. A, there, was another, there was another tweet which I quite liked, and I think it's, it's like a little homage to Imran, um, and that was by the radiologist who's been a previous guest on the podcast, and he wrote a thread about what a radiologist actually means in their report did you know nina like there's not like there was a there's a whole body of a report apparently before the conclusion i've never read it i didn't know that either these words that radiologists use i just like scroll 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 yeah (laughs) conclusion conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) were any of those your favorites on there um probably uh let me have a look here I like the one where it said, um, no acute intracranial pathology. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you, I knew you'd want like that one. Yeah, where it says, there's some cerebral atrophy and small vessel disease, just like we saw on the last 46 CT heads you requested for an unwitnessed fall. I'll have you know, my... I've never requested 46, maybe 45. <clears throat> yes, you have. Um, my <laughs> favourite is probably uh, referring doctor informed it only took me seven calls, three bleeps, and 73 minutes of being on hold, meaning there's now a back, big backlog of acute scans I have to wade through. So now this is your problem. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bit of pass- passive aggression there, isn't that. it? Um, but yeah, where they say like, oh, it's within normal limits, apparently they mean it's normal, but I can't quite bring myself <laughs> to say it's normal. And obviously there's Imran's, which is very self-explanatory, which is neurosurgical opinion advised Advised. obviously that's how he likes to that's what we do all the time if you examine even someone's ear or throat you always put like nad or unremarkable you never put normal like you can't put normal down for anything yeah i think yeah exactly yeah what what is normal nina like we get into the whole philosophical discussions here i actually did Um, use that once in an oski Oh, it was really bad. I was um, an F1 and we had like a little mock OSCE. This was within like five weeks of medical school. So I knew nothing. And then there was this little blood pressure station. All I had to do was um, take the blood pressure of this person and then tell the examiner what it was. Could not get it. Um, It wasn't, it was literally just just at the start of medical school just to kind of get the flavor of what an OSCE was. Oh, yeah. Didn't get it, made it up. It's I said it's this, and then um, he's like, okay, I think I'd got the right answer because he was <laughs> nodding, giving that completely made it up, and he goes, what do you think the normal blood blood pressure should be for this person? Then I was like, hmm, what is normal anyway? And he was like, one of those like <laughs> old school, 
And he just went off. He really liked that. He just went off on a tangent about Aww. what is normal in the body. And, you know, why do You've we class that as normal that, for our, you know, for, you know, is it based on like white men? Is it based on, is it, he, yeah. I, I just stayed stum and let him go off. Like, and then yep. the bell went. <laughs> and then he just went to me, he goes, well done. Very well done. I'm like, oh, Aww. it was all you, man. It was all you. <laughs> That's yeah. That's it's it's quite good. I think sometimes when you had an OSCE station like that, and they obviously like clicked with you for some reason. Um, I feel like that works in your favour sometimes. Then doesn't it? Oh my god! What was I your? Think... Can you just tell me what was your OSCE oh, station? You had a great been one. Many. What was yeah, your there was, one? It was there was one recent. There was like I, I think I can't remember. It was like maybe a couple of months ago that Abby Tut posted a thread about like awkward OSCE stories, and I had. I posted about two, but there's now a third one that I can remember, which is just cringy embarrassing. Just the best. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, the two that I, I think I'd mentioned was one was like, it was like a cervical smear station and it was this like rubber pelvis. Um, and they were like, oh, you don't have to do a smear, but don't use any lubricant on the speculum because it degrades <laughs> the rubber or whatever. And you had to speak to this pelvis like it was a real lady. And I was like, okay, Mrs. Jones, I'm just going to insert the speculum now. And I think obviously it's like a sweaty plastic thing, isn't it? And however many people had done it that day and I'd put the speculum in and done the motions of take, you know, brushing around or whatever. And then tried to pull the speculum back out, but it was like suctioned in. It was really bizarre. And I, I thought, oh. I said, oh, this doesn't normally happen. I was trying to like stay in character. I just love how you kept talking to this well, that, that was the whole part. That was the whole like part of the OSCE. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to pull a little bit harder. And I pulled this speculum out, but like the inside of the vagina, like a, like a rubber tube, like a rubber trunk, just like came oh out God, with I'm it and I was like oh I'm just I'm so sorry I'm just gonna pop that back in for you <laughs> and the examiner was like oh my god like please stop I think I failed that station but the other one was like um ophthalmos- ophthalmoscopy one but yeah the ophthalmoscopy one was like this plastic head and I don't know if you remember them they're probably better now but it was like they'd have these slides in the back of the yeah, eye weird, and then you would have an ophthalmoscope but you could I, I was just so nervous I couldn't even turn the ophthalmoscope on but I, I realized that you could see the slide if you even just, just by looking through the pupil, the pupil. <laughs> so I like held the ophthalmoscope up by the side of my head and I actually put my eyeball on the dummy's <laughs> eyeball just to like look through to find the slide and this the examiner was like uh your eye is just like you're you're not using the ophthalmoscope and I'm like oh no I am <laughs> I am <laughs> And he was just like, no, please. Use. And I was like, no, no I'm, I'm using it. And my eyeball was just on this plastic eyeball, just trying to. I was like, oh, I think they've got retinal hemorrhage. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, resourceful, I would say, because, you know, you Thank could you very probably much. do that in real life. If your thermoscope stops working, then, you know, you know how to. <laughs> I'm just, just going to just hold your head and put my eyeball on yours. Please do not panic. This is a very normal part of the cranial nerve examination. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's probably a, maybe we should leave it there. I don't know. I feel like if we say any more, there might be trouble for one of us. Yeah, let's leave it there. Should we leave it there? Yeah. Um, so thank you for listening. If you're still listening, uh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I, I, know, like, to I feel say. like I haven't done this for a while. I Thanks, know. <laughs> um, Sorry, but I'm yeah, still laughing at just visualizing all your OSCE stations. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something sensible and be like, oh, keep hydrated in this heat. Don't burn. Um, don't do what I do. Enjoy the weather if you can. 
Um, I'm not sure when we will be doing this again, but I'm sure it would have been change over in between. So good luck to everyone who's starting and changing over jobs. Um, yeah, I think that's what I want to say. Yeah, enjoy the sunshine. Get those ice lollies in. Cool. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening, guys. Uh, we shall see you again or speak to you again soon at some point, I'm sure. But yeah, take care. Bye.